Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. This evening, I want to tell you a story. Posted a written version of this story on the website several years ago, but I don't think I've actually ever told it. And this seems a good night for stories. It takes place close to 25 years ago when I was working as chaplain at Marymount, a residential treatment center for adolescent girls. Run by the Roman Catholic Sisters of the Good Shepherd, I was quite newly ordained just a couple of years, and the six years that I spent there at that place were incredibly formative for me. Among other things, I had to learn some things about what really matters in ministry, about what's foundational and what's peripheral. See, Sunday by Sunday, I would lead a chapel service. It was attended by about 20 people. A couple of the sisters would come, a couple of the staff, maybe 15 of the girls from the residential units. A few of those girls would have come with a little bit of church background, but to most of them, this Christianity stuff was a whole new language. And because they were girls living in a secure treatment center, you can imagine that they were, shall we say, a bit complicated. Some were extraordinarily angry. Some were completely emotionally shut down. Several landed somewhere on the fetal alcohol spectrum. Others, by the age of 14 or 15, had already developed addictions of their own. A good number of them had been terribly abused as children, and each in their own way were quite deeply wounded. I learned very quickly that I had about two minutes to do something to kind of engage, and if I didn't engage in those first two minutes, the whole works was likely to go right off the rails. Music was a big part of that engagement. In fact, Larry, who's sitting as leader in our music ensemble here, Larry Campbell, was with me at Marymount almost every Sunday through those six years. And for many, many of those weeks, Steve Bell was one of our musicians. In fact, it was at Marymount that Steve introduced Wings of an Eagle, one of the signature songs. When his touring schedule began to take him on the road, Larry brought along this young guy named John Buller, known to at least some of you here, about half of my congregation instantly fell in love, <laughs> which actually was good. It sort of focused everything in its own way. <laughs> More than just good music leaders, though, the three of these guys were solid and safe men. They wanted to be there for those kids, and that was huge. Music, but story, too, was foundational. And it began to occur to me what a privilege it was to tell stories like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan to a congregation of kids who had never heard them before. Like the gospel was not simply good news, it was news. And that was pretty remarkable. And finally, along with music and story, was ritual. Our framework was a very simple liturgy and it began with a simple set of rituals, setting candles on a table and lighting them, or, or putting out some kind of figures or visual imagery as a kind of a focus. And the, the doing of the ritual actually helped to kind of bring things into focus for these kids. 
Well, anyone who's been around St. Benedict's table at all will not be surprised to hear that when December arrived that first year, I decided we didn't want to jump straight to Christmas, that we would do Advent. Big surprise. So we would build the story slowly, unrushed, savor the not yet, and do it with ritual and music. We had the Advent wreath with its sort of vivid imagery of light coming gradually over the four weeks till finally the, the candle in the middle is lit. But I also decided I would use the, 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 the crash as the foundation of the storytelling. So on the first Sunday of Advent, I set up the stable at the front of the chapel with only the animals in it and the manger, which is, of course, a feed trough. No sign of Mary and Joseph, certainly no sign of the baby, no shepherds, no magi. And I talked about it being simply a stable. On the second Sunday of Advent, we placed the Mary and Joseph figures at the back of the chapel. And I talked about how Caesar Augustus had uttered this decree, this kind of arbitrary decree, that these people were all to travel to the homes of their ancestors to be registered for taxes and that Mary and Joseph needed to travel 110 kilometers to Bethlehem. And it was complicated because Mary was pregnant. That baby could arrive any day. And it's a long, hard journey by foot or by donkey. And so I really built up this, the business of the storytelling with the figures at the back. And by this time, we'd figured out that that corner of the chapel was going to be the fields. And so we had shepherds with sheep there. Still no magi. They don't start their journey till the Christmas star arises. You know, just really kind of building the story. And lots of the kids got into this. They thought it was wonderful. Meanwhile, downstairs in the treatment center, in the hallway where the social workers had their offices and a little reception area in the hall, some well-meaning soul, probably one of the social workers, had set up another little creche. I suspect that whoever did it, did it out of respect for the sisters. You know, keep the Christ in Christmas. We won't just have Frosty the Snowman, we'll have the manger scene. From the beginning of December, the manger scene. Unlike my chapel version, this one was filled with figures. There was Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the magi, sheep, camels, and the baby Jesus, all set out all at once. A day or two after I had done this teaching on, you know, the, the, the story-building thing with the crash through Advent, at the daily morning staff meeting, a very agitated unit supervisor arrived, announcing, and I quote, one of those damn kids stole the baby from the manger. Can you believe it? She went on muttering these things about how this was disrespectful of the nuns and how those kids, they just don't appreciate all that's done for them. I didn't say a thing, but I had my suspicions. Well, that same day, I was up in one of the residential units for lunch. One of the girls at her bedroom door motioned for me to come over and talk to her. I arrived at her door, she pulled me just inside, and with this expression that blended mild guilt with utter delight, 
She opened her hand to show me the figure of the baby Jesus, swiped from the social worker's hallway. They put him in the manger too early, she said. He's not supposed to be born until Christmas. How could I not smile? (laughs) Now, I suggested that while she was quite correct on that count, there were at least a few people around Marymount who were rather wound up about the stolen Christ child. And without hesitation, she handed the little wooden figure to me, and she said, they're going to put him back, aren't they? I said, yes, they probably would. But in the chapel, we'd hold tough right till the 24th. Well, after lunch, I headed down to the office of the Sister Superior of the Sisters of the Good Shepherd, a woman in her early 70s named Sister Monica. She'd been a Good Shepherd sister for some 50 years at that point. The whole time working in those kinds of treatment centers with those kids, She didn't ever seem to lose hope. She never became jaded at all in her work. Instead, she somehow remained this wonderfully creative soul with just enough mischief in her heart to make me quite sure that this little theft of the baby incident would not only be tolerated, but might actually be embraced. So, reaching into my pocket, I placed the figure of the baby on her desk and recounted the whole story in detail. All the way through, Sister Monica just kept chuckling. Her eyes lit up with delight, delight not unlike the look in the eyes of the baby thief herself. Monica had actually been in chapel on those two Advent Sundays when I'd been taking this approach with the creche. And she thought it was just fabulous that one of the girls had not only paid close attention to the teaching, she'd actually taken it to heart. I have to meet her, Sister Monica added, on Sunday, right after chapel. And so, on that third Sunday in Advent, after we'd moved the figures of Mary and Joseph halfway down the aisle of the chapel, closer to the stable, and told the story of their journey. After the service had ended, I went over to that girl, and I told her that Sister Monica wanted to meet her. Oh, sh- fill in the blank. As you will, fill in the blank. But you don't have to be all that creative. Just know, though, that the look on this girl's face was no longer one of mischief, but one of kind of guilt and fear. I led her over to the pew where Monica was sitting, and I made the introduction. Sister Monica jumped up. She took the girl by the hands, and with a great smile on her face, she said, I was so wanting to meet you. Relief flooded the face of that girl. And the two of them settled down together on the pew. For the next 15 minutes or so, as I puttered around and put things away, there was steady chatter between the two of them, punctuated by these great bursts of laughter. Sister Monica quietly returned the figure of the baby to the manger scene in the social work area, 
where the shepherds and the magi spent two full weeks gazing down at him in adoration. (laughs) In the chapel, we did hold very firm. And from then on, that girl would often sit beside the aging nun for our services. It was an unlikely friendship sealed by a bit of shared holy mischief. And when you think about it, for all that Luke's story of the birth of Jesus is one marked by real hardship, there is a long, hard journey. It is an oppressive political situation. There is only a barn for a young woman to give birth to her baby. It's also a story of holy mischief. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but it begins far from the centers of power and privilege. Its first witnesses are not princes or priests, but rather the animals in the stable, and then a group of rough shepherds who've just come in from the fields. And year after year, as we tell this story, it can still fill us, all of us, with a strange kind of childlike wonder at God's curious, mischievous, and holy way of coming among us. Have a blessed and peaceful Christmas season, and may it be touched by just a bit of God's holy mischief. Amen.